0: Uh, hello, Sharad, uh, and welcome to uh, Fintech uh, Friday podcast on world of money and technology and how they're kind of colliding and, uh, you know, the past and the future of money and so on and so forth. Um, I think you probably need no introduction, but for those who are seeing you or, or rather hearing you first time, this is a audio podcast. Is uh, Sharad is uh, one of the few people, I would say, who, is, who has met... Uh, Steve Jobs, and for me, that means that means the world, right? I mean, if there's one person who's changed uh, technology, and I think as a result, maybe everything else, including finance, that's uh, Sharon. But more formally, he was in uh, uh, Yahoo, senior global uh, manager. Uh, he's been in telecom before that. And most recently, he's been doing a world of good for India. And I've been lucky to work on some of, uh, at least small, small things with him so somebody i respect a lot and hope to learn through this uh, podcast do you want to add something Sharad? before we start
1: oh, no 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 i thank you i'm just a uh, very gracious introduction so let's dive in all right thanks
0: so Sharad, uh, you know so fintech when we look at fintech it's finance and technology right two worlds which uh, never really uh, came together for a long time and That's why when finance was called, it was always called people who do bean counters, right? And bean counters did not require technology. So given that you're really a techie at heart, a kernel programmer, as you call yourself at some point of time and very research-oriented, how do you think uh, technology really entered uh, finance? And this is a globally uh, question, not just India. We'll come to India subsequently.
1: Clearly, I mean, there's, first of all, I mean, money is a is a very good proxy for economic activity, right? And it's the flow of money that represents, uh, in some sense, the flow of goods and services, right? And so you can, therefore, you have all this debate about what happens in the macroeconomic kind of a policy, inflation, deflation, leveraging, deleveraging, right? Leveraging with inflation, leveraging, deleveraging, or leveraging without inflation, right? So all this happens because money mimics what is happening with goods and services and another place where there is a kind of a relationship with reality is how you're able to model reality using computers right and using software so software is nothing but a way to model the world and therefore uh, it is inevitable that the two will come together because you know you can say money is a way to understand what's happening in goods and services economy and software is another way to model that world and the two are destined to come together in some form or fashion but more practically you know we know that uh, that it is therefore important that just the way we focus on reducing the friction in in flow of goods and services and therefore have fewer trade barriers you know fewer kind of uh, restrictions and therefore the ease of doing business should be high you know the same thing also applies when it comes to money and credit right and uh, clearly one way to reduce friction is to make it more digital and therefore I think we are slowly coming to the era of digital money and uh, uh, so that is one connection point between the two the second I think connection point between the two is that credit is nothing but a prediction of what's going to happen in the real economy in the future, right? And uh, so if you're making, if credit is making a prediction how this company will be doing, will it be doing well enough to repay my loan, right? And uh, so it's making a prediction of the future. And how do you predict? You make predictions uh, using models and one of the modeling tools is is computers. So clearly, if you can now understand the real economy better and mirror it much better with friction free flow of money, then you can use the data that is coming up by watching money move, you know, to make better predictions about what's going to happen in the future. And that would then feed into the credit cycle that you have. And uh, so therefore, you know, technology has a very important role to play there as well. so I feel, you know, the marriage between the two is only going to grow over time.
0: Right, right. No, so absolutely. I think money and uh, uh, money, the goods and services are two sides of the coin. And maybe software is the middle of that, uh, bringing the two together in some sense. So it's it's, all, it's like maybe three sides of the coin if there is a three-sided coin. So uh, coming to, you know, how, how do you think we in India are sort of positioned in, in the world of fintech? I'm just sort of looking at this as a as a general perspective. You talked about money in in a in a very technological perspective, and I was just listening to a Elon Musk uh, a video just two days back, and he talks about how you know money is essentially a bunch of uh, you know as he says heterogeneous uh, ledgers, which are not really talking well to each other, and there is a huge amount of latency. The information is getting lost in the process. Uh, you know the typical Elon Musk. Uh, uh, way of thinking about uh, things and systems right and and here is the reality of what we had I mean, at least we have uh, a very very forward-looking systems uh, especially on the payment side in India but uh, how do you see we are doing on the overall fintech ecosystem uh, apart from you know the amazing advances in in the payments that uh, that we have done and, and obviously the work that you've done on identity and uh, other primitives, which which provide a huge uh, infrastructure to really leverage on.
1: See, I think there are two things that are special now about the Indian fintech ecosystem. One, of course, is that uh, that money and digital money is rapidly growing. It is still a very small proportion of the total money flows, but it is growing and it is growing, especially in B2B transactions in a very rapid way, right? And that is where you will see, therefore, its first influence uh, come in. You know, there is a growth between B2C, between, you know, the merchant and the consumer, but, you know, that's a very still a very small proportion. So if you see B2B transactions are mostly digital money, right? Not UPI, but even the other forms that are there. And B2C is also increasing very rapidly. The second area where I think it is very, very important is information asymmetry. So to build on what, you were saying about Elon Musk's that today information is sitting, is fragmented, and it is sitting in many places. And if we have a way of bringing this information together, right, then new insights about the future emerge. And therefore, if you have new insights about the future, then you can make bets on the future. And if you can make bets on the future, you know, credit is a factor, you know, other kinds of financial contracts like derivatives and the like become possible so all that are possible if we can if we can reimagine the information landscape that we are in which as you pointed out is highly highly fragmented so if you have to consolidate that the challenge is that how do we deal with uh, two challenges that we have how do we make it easy to move information Mm -hmm. but do it in a way that it doesn't compromise privacy Right. And so these have been competing objectives. So if you get rid of privacy restrictions, right, and you let everything be essentially on small, small public ledgers, then coalescing and getting a single view of information is not difficult at all. Right. But that's societally difficult to do because, you know, privacy and secrecy have role to play. You know, the in business context, you know, secrecy is important in business. Right. So therefore that's not an option so therefore the option is that how can you do both how can you do both not as an either or but designed from ground up as a combination system and that is where i think india has taken a leap you know with its depa platform and and the first place first sectoral implementation of this is actually the financial data and that is the account aggregator and that was launched only on 2nd of september so we are early days but i think if when we look back Maybe two, three, four years from now, you know, this will be very seminal. And uh, why? Because information about the real economy, you know, is very important, and your ability to look at that information in a way that could never be looked at before is going to be game-changing. And India is at the at the cutting edge of this, and is certainly implementing this faster and sooner than any other country in the world at this time.
0: Right. Right. So I hope the Indian fintech startups and the global fintech uh, companies that are looking to operate in India given the enormous market are going to be hopefully uh, able to use all these, uh, you know, uh, transformational technologies that are being provided and literally being made available and, uh, you know, build on top for, for what we call as the India 2 and, and Bharat, which are largely unexplored markets, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah,
1: yeah, and and this kind of gives me an opportunity to make a case to Mm -hmm. build on what you're saying Mm -hmm. that our startups end up falling in three categories in my mind. So I'll make it very tangible. So if you take UPI, right, there came a time only in September of 2017. See, UPI was launched, consumer launch was in August of 2016. And from August of 2016 to August Or September of 2016, if you see the line, the volume, number of transactions line, it was almost flat. It was going up, but very small. The inflection point comes only in September of 2017, right? When there was noticeable rise and it begins a journey upwards. And it's been now doing 10% month on month, you know, since that point.
0: Like this Sochcast? Tune
1: in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store so the first inflection if if you call that in september of 2017 uh, that inflection before that let us say were wave 1 players and after that are wave 2 players will you allow me to kind of use yeah. this nomenclature sure. right sure. right so uh, what i want to point out is that the dna of wave 2 players is very different from the dna of wave 1 players right and to be a wave 1 player means that before the first inflection is reached right you build conviction that this is the right thing to do, yeah. not by looking at data, but by looking at the fundamentals behind UPI, which meant that you had to read the architecture document of UPI. You know, you had to go deep into it to understand what it would be. All the Wave 1 players are there. In fact, I, as far as I know, there is no meaningful Wave 2 player that has now survived who joined the bandwagon after September 2017 and is still a significant player in the UPI ecosystem, right. right? But there is a period before wave one also, right? So before wave one is the period before it is even launched. So if you take August of 2016 or you know early 2016, the question to ask is who was making a full commitment to UPI in 2015 or in early 2016? In the in the January, February, March period of of 2016, those are wave zero players. So now, if you look at the UPI landscape, right? You know, and, and your listeners can do this. They can go to the search, uh, one of the search engines, and put in and say, "I Spirit." I Spirit is I S P I R T. It is I Indian Software Product Industry Roundtable, and Yes Bank, and they will see something come up which is dated december of 2015 so yes bank in the banking area was a wave 0 player so last year on march 5th when yes bank went bust effectively it had between you know 37 38% of the upi traffic largest player largest banking player because they had chosen to make a bet as a wave 0 player right and that bet paid off for them So, the other company that made a wave zero bet, which very few of your listeners know about, is JustPay. So, Vimil Khanna and the team made a bet. And today, they carry about 40% of the UPI traffic as an infrastructure player. They're not a B2C player, but they're an infrastructure player. So, the question is that when these things are happening, will our startups be wave zero, wave one, or wave two? The problem is that our entrepreneurial culture so i call the wave zero guys they have the capacity to be first principle thinkers right the wave one guys are usually people who are gita or bible readers right i mean they'll understand a religion at a deeper level and wave two people are bhajan singers so i in this in this the bhajan startups i am you know i will sing the same bhajan as fresh desk You know, and I am therefore going to do this for SaaS. They're not going to succeed. They will own only those who understand the Freshdesk story or a SaaS story at a deeper level, at the first principle level. And then they're inspired by Freshdesk, but they will replicate it in that way that becomes important. And this has always been true. We have always had bhajan companies. You know, Mindtree was, since many of the people came from Bipro, was a bhajan replica of Bipro but it never became big enough to compete with wipro right so so the point is yes startups this is a good time but unfortunately our startup ecosystem is of bhajan startups uh, you know or wave 2 startups not wave 1 and wave 0 and the sad part is that the silicon valley companies often are more wave 1 and wave 0 so our problem as i spirit is to keep them away because they sitting 10000 11000 uh-huh miles away can still see the value in this right and and they're willing to take this messy stuff because when you are wave zero and wave one the messiness is high our entrepreneurs want no messiness so if you want no messiness then you wait for wave two but if you wait for, wait for wave two you won't get the upside that you expect so this is the trade-off that is there so so we have to educate our entrepreneurs as we go forward
0: yeah yeah no i think that's wonderfully potent. And- Ultimately, it's all about uh, risk and return, right? I mean, you can't expect extraordinary return without taking a reasonable amount of risk and, you know, be in that messy world, try and figure things out when they are still not clear. And obviously, only when you do that, then once things become clear, then you have a highway and uh, maybe a lift off to Mars or whatever it is, uh, uh, and that is justified as well Uh, makes uh, sense. I think uh, let me just switch over to a a, a topic which cannot be left behind on any uh, discussion on fintech and finance in today's world, which is about, you know, the emerging uh, other uh, sort of new balance, uh, hopefully a balance that will emerge between a decentralized and a a new way of looking at uh, not just money, but other sorts of information uh, in the form of blockchains, versus the centralized world that we are all uh, so used to and uh, definitely has a lot of advantages. Uh, so how do you see this, uh, this dance uh, shaping up uh, in, uh, in the years to come? As we, do you see us moving from uh, having an orderly transition? Do you see there being a, a hybrid uh, uh, of some sorts, which really comes, comes about in due course? And have you seen any parallels to this before?
1: See, there is a DLT part of this and then there is a whole digital asset part of this, right? The Bitcoin, Dogecoin part of this. And then there is a DLT or a blockchain or Ethereum uh, kind of a part of this. Clearly, I mean, if our goal is to mimic the real economy in the most efficient fashion possible, right? On ledgers that would give us that chance to, you know, basically mirror what is happening in the real economy. Then uh, a money ledger becomes very important because, you know, clearly that is one aspect of what is happening. But also a goods and services ledger is also very important because the two have to be in some form or fashion linked. And and so therefore, you know, uh, knowing for sure with high provenance, you know, where is this... uh, copper that I bought, let's say from Congo, you know, currently sitting, uh, where is it, in which ship is it, where it is, you know, there are ways of seeing this today, but they are not linked with the money ledger in any form or fashion, right? And this is not a conversation that is happening in the West, by and large, because they have found ways to live with the system and the system in their mind is not fully broken. But in India, that is a very big problem, right? And uh, so I think clearly there is a case to be made that having a better mirror of the actual real economy, you know, clearly makes good sense. And therefore, we need to go back and rethink the ledger system that will allow us to do that you know, we, as a country, we've taken the old money ledger system and removed friction from it and you get UPI, right? The ledger system has not changed, yeah. but the, the way you use that ledger system has become friction-free, right? And, uh, but there is a case to be made and saying, now that we understand that well, can we go deeper and understand if we can actually change the way the underlying money ledger is maintained? And not only the way money ledger is maintained, but how the corresponding goods and, you know, the inventory ledger is maintained because if that can give us better insights into how the economy is performing for every player in the economy, not only a regulator, not only a person who is running the macro, uh, the monetary policy or fiscal policy, you know, but a common entrepreneur. Sure. Then yeah. there is value we created, right? And so, if the buyer and seller of a transaction can benefit from a better recording of the economic activity, right? Then it can definitely. Be a plus, and you have been, been, you know, at the forefront of this thinking process in high spirit, of saying that benefit is actually can be codified as trust, right? So yeah. I think there is a way for us to reimagine the trust between buyers and sellers by thinking of better ledgers. And now the question is, can we have to get a better ledger system in place? So now the question is, is that better ledger system necessary a distributed ledger system, or not? You know, uh, I think the answer is it will be distributed. You know, at least from iSpirit perspective, even on data, we are. While we believe the data has to come together and you should be able to get a single view, but we believe in federated data stores, right? So, so we think a distributed model is is very very important as we go forward. That's the only truly scalable paradigm uh, that will work for a country the scale of uh, India and the complexity of India. So, so I think there is a Definite case for reimagining the ledger system that represents the economy. So, that is one.
0: Like this, Sochcast? Tune
1: in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. The second, then, is the store of value, right? right of that economic activity, right? And that, I think, is something that I, as an engineer, don't fully understand. Clearly, there is a conversation going about this. Right. So I would refrain from, you know, kind of offering many comments there because I really don't fully understand that. Right. And that store of value, you know, whether it's the gold standard or a fiat currency or now it's digital gold as crypto. And those assets are being called, you know, to me, they are all very appealing and interesting and there are obviously relative pros and cons of each. And uh, I would say I don't fully understand what it is. But I can see that if one of them is something like CBDC, then it would need a techno-legal way of regulating it, right? Now, where else have we applied a techno-legal way of regulating things? It's actually data. Because data cannot simply be regulated by issuing rules on a piece of paper. Those rules have to translate into the the machines that manage the flow of data. And it is tech rules plus policy rules. When they are acting in harmony, will you be able to effectively regulate flow of data? And I would say if that is true for flow of data, that's also going to be true in the future for flow of digital money. No matter whether the digital money is a gold standard money or a fiat currency money or a digital gold money, right? A crypto money, whatever it may be, but it needs techno-legal kind of a, a regulation and uh, and that has to come about. Now, who controls the legal part of the regulation? Up till now, governments have controlled it. Now, if that is going to be controlled by another set of people, right, who have proof of work or, you know, proof of stake and they are going to set those rules that we are talking about, you know, it's not yet clear to me how all those systems will work. I'm a little skeptical about this argument that those rule setters is distributed to me if Elon Musk can move dogecoin in the way that he can you know you know then it's one set of elites setting the rules versus another set of macroeconomists from a few institutions setting the rules right as central bankers to me it's not clear one is very different from the other in theory, it could be, but in practice, it doesn't seem to be. So, to me, the volatility there that we are seeing right now, or individuals being able to move in money and 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 change rules, sometimes as you have seen in many of these examples on some of these cryptocurrency situations, in ways that are definitely, you know, not how they were intended, you know, mm-hmm. is a betrayal of confidence in that system. So, I would generally stay away from the currency thing, but focus on the Ledger piece and say, can we give a better representation of the physical economy so that better decisions can be made?
0: Sure, sure. So you, you're effectively saying that there is, uh, a, it's not a either or centralized versus decentralized. It's not about creating digital trust through a new digital uh, approach, which, uh, you know, that's what blockchains or specifically cryptocurrencies uh, claim to achieve. What we really need to look at is really who's setting the rules and how is that process, which is really at the end of the day, what defines the universe is, you know, who's defining the universe and how's that process being uh, federated in some sense uh, and in the larger goods uh, of the entire universe that is being created. That's that's important. So uh, that's great. I think we probably are running out of time, but one just final, very quick question if I may pull in before this uh, if it closes uh, before that uh, uh, which is very quickly on the top of your head what do you think is the biggest fintech opportunity in India and you may choose to refrain from uh, saying that because uh, you know it's not about taking sides or anything like that I,
1: I think it if you were in 2016 that would have been payments right right I think uh, there are some Opportunities left in payment, especially around E-Rupee and building the application infrastructure and uh, for E-Rupee, I think there is a unicorn or two waiting uh, there to happen. So I think uh, that is definitely there. But I think in the near term, in, in 2022, the opportunity will be short tenor, short value, short amount MSME lending which we in Ice spirit refer to as cash flow netting. And uh, so it is both short tenor as well as, uh, you know, small amounts. And, uh, you know, and and for your listeners, I can share with you. We've been running a pilot called Gem Sahe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people on their own do this. And many of the transactions are in lakhs. I think five lakhs and, you know, things like that. But on their own, you know, there have been several transactions. That have been below 500 rupees in fact the smallest one is 238 and i'm really really mystified by this why does a commercial lender find it worth its while to give a 238 rupee loan to somebody who is new to credit right now that's all only possible because ekyc costs are very low it's only possible because information movement from the borrower to the lender is not 60 rupees, because if it's 60 rupees, it's it's not affordable yeah. at all, right? Yeah. And it's only possible if then the digital agreement signing and recovery of the loan all, can all happen under 10 rupees. If it's not, all these things cannot happen under 10 rupees, cumulatively, then a 500 rupee loan is not viable at all. But, you know, we are seeing these loans happen. You know, not nobody is pushing them; they're just happening on their own. And so, so my confidence today to say that this will be something that will be meaningful uh, is very high. And it will, but it is very tough. It is why is it tough? Because your lots of unlearning is needed. Just the way you know, I mentioned some wave zero players to you, which is people like Yes Bank and JustPay. But the wave one players, phone pay or even for that matter, Paytm, which has been a wave one player in UPI. They embraced UPI right from the beginning or others like Bharat Pay. They all had to unlearn the card business to be able to do the UPI business properly. And I would suggest to you that they were since they were not big in the card business. They succeeded. In fact, the players who were big in the card business did not succeed because unlearning is going to be very hard. So in this credit model that we're talking about, a, a lot of unlearning has to happen. So what does this mean? It means that a player who decides to start now in October of 2021 to be a major player in 2022 has less unlearning to do. Yeah. than a player who's already been there for two, three years in this business. right? So I think we will see this as we go forward. right? And uh, because this is what exactly happened in uh, UPI as well. So then the other big opportunity that I think is uh, going to be uh, coming bes- besides credit is actually going to be insurance. And uh, uh, see, because we are a grossly underinsured uh, mm. economy. And uh, and insurance is the same problem as credit. It's all about making a prediction about the future, right? And the same reason why credit can go, take off, or at least short-term credit can take off because you have now data available to make dramatically better predictions about the short-term than you could do before. The same reason short-term insurance can take off. And so that short-term insurance is actually business insurance right and and i think there is an opportunity sitting here for providing insurance which is essentially transaction insurance e errors and omissions issu- insurance and that kind of business insurance at a price point that was impossible earlier uh, in a scientific way and i think that is uh, going to be the wave for 2023 and beyond. So these are some of the things that are coming our way, and I'm sure there are others. But uh, these are the ones that come to my mind. Right? Sure, sure.
0: Thanks, 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 Sharad. I hope uh, those who were listening uh, were listening to this intently because these could be worth. Uh, uh, this advice could be worth uh, a lot, uh, both in terms of uh, the value of it as well as in terms of the development development aspect and the thrill of opening new segments and new markets uh, so thanks uh, thanks for that Sharad. i think it was a wonderful discussion talking a bit short though but uh, talking about a variety of aspects from how technology entered finance to what is money and decentralized versus centralized money and towards uh, the future of uh, fintech in india and 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 the underlying infrastructure thanks to the no greed, no glory volunteering that Icefoot has been uh, doing. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, uh, and, and thanks for this uh, wonderful discussion. You're back. Thanks so much.